0: WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
2: The attack that we're about to study in Acts 15 far surpasses anything that the church had experienced up to this point, because if this assault succeeded, it would distort and therefore destroy not simply the existing church, but it would destroy the very message of the gospel so that no one would know how to be saved. No one would know how to be right with God. And if that were allowed to happen, then it would damn people to hell without any hope because the purity of the gospel of grace would be lost.
1: I don't believe there was ever a more important church council than the one that took place in Jerusalem, described by Luke in Acts 15. God clearly had His hand on those men who stood firmly against a heresy that is still popular today, that Jesus' blood was not enough to save us, and He needs our help. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Today, Pastor Steve Kreloff is beginning a new series of lessons in God's Word, and it's about the Jerusalem Council that met to stop an idea that had the potential to turn Christianity into just another powerless religion. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We need to get going quickly today because Pastor Steve has quite a bit of ground to cover. So grab your Bible if you have it and open it to Acts chapter 15. Here's Pastor Steve.
2: What I am about to say, I say without hesitancy, I say without fear of being contradicted, that our study today in the book of Acts, has brought us to what is without doubt the most important chapter in this book. This chapter has been described as the turning point, the centerpiece, the watershed of the book of Acts. And the reason for such accolades, the reason for such descriptions, is that Acts chapter 15 reveals a crisis of such enormous proportions that when resolved, it settled the most important issue in life, the issue of how a person is saved, how a person is forgiven of their sin, how a person is made right with God. See, Acts 15 tells us of the time that certain Jewish men from Jerusalem came to the church at Antioch and began teaching the Gentile believers in that church that they weren't truly saved. They weren't born again because they said their faith in Christ, while certainly good and commendable, they said it wasn't sufficient enough to save them. They needed something else. They needed something in addition. They needed, they said, to submit to the Jewish rite of circumcision in order to receive salvation. In other words, they were teaching these Gentiles that they... They first had to become Jewish proselytes before they could be saved. They were telling them that salvation wasn't by faith alone in Christ. Instead, they said it was by faith in Christ plus obedience to the Mosaic law, specifically the law of circumcision, which marked a person as being officially Jewish and therefore part of God's covenant people. Now, folks, it's not an overstatement to say that this was the most dangerous threat that the Church of Jesus Christ had faced in its brief history. You know from our previous studies in Acts that Satan had attacked the Church and attempted to destroy the Church on numerous occasions and by using a variety of methods. First, in the early days of the Church, he attacked it by attempting to intimidate the apostles into being silent about Jesus, not talking about Him anymore through threats and and fears by the high council, the Sanhedrin, as they threatened them. And so they tried to intimidate them. Next, the devil attacked the church by threatening to weaken its testimony, by undermining and compromising the holy standards of God's people by the lying of a prominent couple, a husband and wife in the Jerusalem congregation by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied. And if not dealt with, The church would have compromised and been a bunch of liars thinking that they can just live any way they want and there would be no addressing of those issues. Then Satan attacked the Jerusalem church by an internal conflict that arose between the Hebrew speaking Jewish believers and the Greek speaking Jewish believers when the Greek speakers complained that their widows weren't getting as much food in the daily distribution of meals as the Hebrew-speaking widows were. And then the devil tried to wipe out the entire Jerusalem church by instigating a great persecution against them so that some members were actually murdered, others were thrown in prison, and many others were forced to flee their homes as they were scattered then all over the other regions of Israel away from Jerusalem. Now, all of those attacks were serious and obviously dangerous, but the attack that we're about to study in Acts 15 far surpasses anything that the church had experienced up to this point because if this assault succeeded, it would distort and therefore destroy not simply the existing church, but it would destroy the very message of the gospel so that no one would know how to be saved. No one would know how to be right with God. And if that were allowed to happen, then it would damn people to hell without any hope because the purity of the gospel of grace would be lost. And if that happened, then none of us sitting here today would be saved. We wouldn't know the message because we would still be striving through our own efforts to be right with God, but to no avail. Now, in the opening verses of Acts 15, Luke records for us what took place to bring about such a perilous situation. So, I encourage you to turn to Acts 15 or to look on the the screen. Acts 15, starting at verse 1, "...some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved." And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren." When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, it's necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. Now, let me set the context and the historical scene for these verses so that you can appreciate the magnitude of what Luke is telling us. As you'll recall, chapter 14 ended on a very positive note, a very good note, a very encouraging note, with the return of Paul and Barnabas to their home church in Antioch in Syria. We read in verse 27 of chapter 14, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, Paul and Barnabas as you know, had just completed a very successful about two-year missions outreach, first to the island of Cyprus and then to the mainland certain cities in Asia Minor. And then they had returned, as I said, about two years later, rejoicing in what God had accomplished through them because they recognized that with so many Gentiles having been saved, it was apparent that God had opened wide a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, you'll recall that this particular church in Antioch, Syria, was very special because it was the first primarily Gentile church in the world. Prior to their establishment as a local church, Gentiles certainly had been saved, such as the Samaritans were saved. Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch was saved. Acts chapter 8 as well. Cornelius and his family came to faith in Christ. Acts 10. And there were others, but until the formation of this church in Antioch, there had been no local church where the majority of its members were Gentiles and not Jewish. And so this was something new, it was something unique. And the Jewish apostles in Jerusalem, they had rejoiced with what God was doing in saving so many Gentiles. And they had given this church their full approval. We know that from Acts 11. If you look back at Acts 11, 22 and 23, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So, The apostles rejoiced. They thought this was a great thing. They sent Barnabas there. He approved. He sent word back. This is the work of God. And through the subsequent missionary efforts of Paul and Barnabas, it was obvious that this movement of Gentiles now coming to faith in Christ was gaining momentum. So that, as one Bible teacher put it, the trickle of Gentile conversions was fast becoming a torrent. But with the rise of so many Gentiles being saved, some Jewish people who were associated with the church in Jerusalem, they became alarmed and concerned. And what did they become alarmed and concerned about? Well, they were alarmed by the fact that these Gentiles were being accepted by others in the church as being saved on the basis of their faith in Jesus Christ without first becoming Jewish through the rite of circumcision. You see, prior to this, those few Gentiles who had believed on Jesus for salvation, for the most part, were already proselytes, Gentile proselytes to Judaism, meaning that they had undergone the rite of circumcision and were therefore considered Jewish. But now that God had opened wide a door of faith to the Gentiles and so many pagans were believing on Jesus who were not circumcised proselytes to Judaism. This created a serious problem in the thinking of some Jewish people so that a crisis was inevitable. It had to happen. And it finally did happen. The crisis finally came to a head in the Gentile-dominated church at Antioch. In fact, the issue was so serious, the crisis was so far-reaching that they weren't able to resolve it By themselves. They had to send a delegation consisting, as we read, of Paul and Barnabas and some others from the church to the apostles in Jerusalem to decide and to settle the matter. Now, the way that Luke unfolds what happened in Antioch is by taking the first six verses of Acts 15 to tell us what the problem was, what was going on. Then he takes the rest of the chapter to tell us how the problem was resolved. And so this morning, we want to focus on the opening verses, the first six verses of this chapter, and we want to discover exactly what was the problem. So verse 1 tells us this, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now the Bible, folks, makes it abundantly clear that false teachers will always be a threat to the church, always. In fact, Most, not all, but most of the New Testament letters were written in response to some error being propagated by false teachers that were affecting the church. And so a letter was written to counteract that. And by false teachers, let me just affirm what Scripture affirms. Scripture is referring, when it talks about false teachers, to those who distort the message of salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. In other words, they mess up the gospel. One of those statements about the dangers of false teachers was made by Peter when he warned his readers about the destructive or the damnable heresies false teachers would bring with them. Second Peter two one. He writes, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. In other words, what Peter is saying is just as there were false teachers in Old Testament times who tried to mislead Israel, so there will be false teachers among the church, People who will try to mislead believers with destructive, damnable heresies, meaning heresies that have accepted, would damn a man's soul to hell because they would deny the gospel of grace and the message of salvation in Christ. And here in Acts 15, we see the first incident in church history of false teachers bringing one of those damnable heresies into the church. Luke tells us that this particular heretical teaching came when some men came down from Judea. Judea is a region in Israel. It's where Jerusalem is. Now, who were these men, and what was the heresy that they brought with them? Well, Luke tells us that these men came down from Judea, indicating that they were Jewish. And as we'll learn later, they were connected, associated, to the church at Jerusalem. However, and it's a big however, later in Acts 15, we'll see that although these men gave the impression that they were sent by the apostles in an official capacity as their authorized representatives, that was not at all the case. And that's important to understand this. This is not men who were sent by the apostles. What they were teaching is not what the apostles taught. In Acts 15... A little bit later in the chapter, we read this, starting in verse 23 and 24. This is a letter sent by the apostles to the church at Antioch. And here's what they're saying, at least part of what they're saying. And they sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren who are elders, to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles. Greetings, since we have heard that some of our number... To whom, note this, we gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words unsettling your souls. No one in authority in Jerusalem had authorized these men to go to the church at Antioch in order to teach what is called here disturbing words, which is a reference of the teaching that they brought with them. And their disturbing teaching was that they said, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Now, obviously, this teaching was directed to the Gentiles in the church at Antioch because unlike the Jewish believers, the Gentiles were not circumcised. And what these men from Judea were saying was most disturbing because they were claiming that these Gentile Christians were not Christians at all. And they had never been Christians, in spite of what Paul and Barnabas had told them, because why? They had never been circumcised. And why was circumcision so important to them? Because circumcision was the sign that God gave to the Jewish people that they were his covenant people. And so every male, by virtue of his circumcision, and that included Gentile proselytes to Judaism... Everyone, every male was considered a full-fledged member of Israel who was committed now to living by the Mosaic law. And female family members of those men who were circumcised were also included in this covenant. That's how it worked. So what these men from Judea were saying is that unless a Gentile who believes in Jesus becomes Jewish by way of circumcision and an adherent, to the law of Moses, they cannot be saved. Here's the way Bible teacher John Stott explained the precise issue that these men, sometimes called Judaizers, were teaching, and what was it at stake if their teaching became the accepted norm. He writes, we need to be clear what they were saying and what the point of the issue was. They were insisting in Luke's, telltale summary, that without circumcision, converts could not be saved. Of course, circumcision was the God-given sign of the covenant, and doubtless, the Judaizers were stressing this. But they were going further and making it a condition of salvation. They were telling Gentile converts that faith in Jesus was not enough not sufficient for salvation. They must add to faith circumcision and to circumcision observance of the law. In other words, they must let Moses complete what Jesus had begun and let the law supplement the gospel. The issue was immense. The way of salvation was at stake. The gospel was in dispute. The very foundations of the Christian faith were being undermined. Now listen closely because What these men taught was the height of heresy. Jewish people in Old Testament times were not saved by circumcision and the keeping of the Mosaic law. And Gentiles couldn't be saved by circumcision or the law either. The Apostle Paul made this point very clear in Romans chapter 4 when speaking about the father of the Jewish people, Abraham, and his faith. Paul states that Abraham was justified, and justification means declared legally righteous by God on the basis of his faith, and not works, which included the work of circumcision. Paul opens chapter 4 of Romans with these words, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God." For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what's due? But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Paul is simply saying that Abraham was saved, God credited righteousness to his account on the basis of his faith, not anything that he did. And a little bit later in this chapter, Paul directly addresses the issue of Abraham's circumcision, and he asks if his circumcision was the means by which God credited righteousness to him, and his answer is a resounding no, absolutely not. Verses 10 through 12. How then was it credited? He means, how was righteousness credited to Abraham? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? His answer, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, he means Jewish people, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. So let me explain this. Paul wants us to understand that Abraham was saved, justified, prior to being circumcised. That came later. And his circumcision, Paul says, it was just an outward sign. That God had saved him. That's all. It wasn't the means of his salvation. He had been saved prior to that. Therefore, Abraham is an example of how to be saved. Both to uncircumcised Gentiles, they just have to believe. And to circumcised Jewish people, they also just have to believe. Because salvation comes by means of faith and nothing else.
1: Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. So to believe that our participation, our additional effort beyond Jesus' sacrifice is necessary for salvation is prideful in the extreme and a colossal insult to the Lord. It's like saying to the almighty creator of the universe, nice try, almost good enough. Here, let me finish this for you. And then we give him filthy rags to seal the deal. Pastor Steve will explain more fully in our next broadcast. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse depends in large part on the generosity of our listeners to keep these Bible classes on the air. If God's been blessing you through this ministry and you'd like to take part in supporting it, you can give by calling Lakeside at the number I just mentioned, 727-441-1714, or by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org and browsing to the giving page. We're thankful for the generous listeners who help keep us on the air. The website is also home to our library of hundreds of previous broadcasts, and we invite our listeners and visitors to stream or download any of the programs they'd like to hear. That's at versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. As I mentioned at the start of today's broadcast, we're just beginning a new series of lessons from Acts chapter 15 about the Jerusalem Council, which just might be the most important church council in history. It deals with a heresy that is still common today. Is salvation for sale? Is, Is there something we need to do to complete the payment Jesus made on the cross? Those are questions that each of us must answer correctly, if we hope to have eternal life. I hope you can join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve shows from Scripture just how supremely important this question is. In fact, it's the most important question we'll ever face.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by...
1: We are here to give you strength between...